Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 1 to 21. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one had heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then, then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians! Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, uh, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontius and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, uh, Cretans and Arabs. Oh, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does it mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, <laughs> They've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. <clears throat> Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you and listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I tell you confidently that this patriarch David died and was buried. His tomb is here to this day. 
but he was a prophet and he knew that God had promised on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Uh, seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realms of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses to it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out all that you now see and hear. For David had not descended to heaven and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, all the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their, in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Well, if they'd like to, now's the time for children to get going on uh, their activities. Uh, hopefully you've had a chance to download the sheet that Darren uh, has prepared. Uh, meanwhile, the rest of us are going to focus on the chapter that Cain has just read so excellently for us. They say, don't they, that it's easy to miss uh, the wood for the trees, uh, to so focus on individual bits and pieces uh, that you miss the big picture. Uh, and in a sense, um, in covering this whole chapter, I'm very uh, conscious of the danger that we'll get lost in some of the detail and not see uh, the whole sweep of things. So the headings I've got uh, capture something uh, of the big picture. Uh, we're going to begin by looking at the shape of the chapter, then the centrepiece of the chapter, and then the dynamic of the chapter as a whole. Where it moves, who it concerns, and how it gets there. So first then, the chapter as a whole. Um, there are here two visions of human society, one at the beginning and one at the end. It, it begins with the world that we know, a world that's marked by division and disunity, where people speak different languages and struggle to make themselves understood or to be able to understand other people. We see it there in verses 9 through to 12, where we read that Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, uh, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and all the rest each of them speaking their own language, 
with their own culture. And they make up a world where difference so often leads to suspicion and separation and dispute. We do that, don't we? We lay claim to our territory, our distinctiveness, our identity. And often the way that we do that is by emphasising why I am not like you. Now, the particular emphasis here is on linguistic difference, but cultural, social and economic differences can all play their part in creating a world that's divided, where exclusion and isolation, loneliness and separation are the order of the day. It's the world of Babel, where scattering and confusion and the absence of a common tongue have done their worst. And it occurs to me that it's also our Covid world. All the things that we're learning to hate about this lockdown experience are here, aren't they? The, the sense of, of being isolated and alone, separated from others. And also with that threat of conflict hovering below the surface. Of course, it's not Covid that's created this, it's been here all along. Our self-assertion creates these divisions the divided world that we experience. But what a contrast as we come to the end of the chapter. Such a different vision of a community marked out by unity and love. Uh, listen again, uh, look at verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. It's an idyllic picture, almost utopian in flavour. Everything in common, shared possessions, shared lives, shared worship, shared joy. We sense its rightness. We're immediately drawn to it, attracted to this this vision of lives shared and united. And I guess that, again, our COVID lockdown has only heightened uh, the desire that we feel for such a thing. How badly we want to be together again, properly together, sharing meals, sharing homes, sharing friendship, sharing love. That the picture we have here, I think is intended to be for us a, a little taste of heaven because I think that's the way that the chapter works. It takes us, as it were, from unnerving hints of hell to, to wonderful anticipations of heaven. The divisions that we begin with are rooted in self-centeredness, because whenever I make life about me, myself, I, and there's no room for you, then I've set a certain trajectory, and that trajectory is towards aloneness. These hints of division and separation and isolation are echoes of the lostness of hell, where God says to us, your will be done, and your will is for yourself, and yourself alone, and you will be alone. While in contrast, the, the closing scene uh, of love and unity and mutual, mutual care serves for us as a picture of the togetherness 
the mutual love of heaven. And however imperfectly, and you and I both know that it is hugely imperfectly, the church is supposed to be a, a picture like this, to provide a pattern, a hint, an echo of what God has in store. So there's the trajectory of the chapter. From what we dread, being separate and alone, to what we yearn for, being connected and at one. But, but how on earth do you get there? How do you make that journey? Well, come to our second point, at the centrepiece of this extraordinary chapter, which we discover is Jesus himself. There are extraordinary things in the chapter, aren't there? A sound like the roaring of a mighty wind, flames that seem like tongues of fire resting on the apostles, this strange speech that was understandable to, to all these people uh, in their own languages. But these extraordinary things need explaining. And the explanation focuses on Jesus. At verse 22, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. It's a striking contrast, isn't it? Verse 23 and verse 24. You put him to death. God raised him from the dead. I wonder if you can think for a moment of something that you regret. I guess it might be a, um, a job or career opportunity uh, that you passed by. Uh, or it might be a relationship. Uh, a friendship that you didn't pursue. Or it might be a, a journey, a travel, a holiday, a gap year that you never in the end took. And at the time, it didn't seem important. It was only afterwards that you realised what an opportunity it had been, what possibility there was in that relationship, that career. But by the time you realised that, it was too late. The moment had passed, the opportunity uh, was no longer there. And if that was something really significant, then you will know that the pain of regret can be profound, terrible, overwhelming even. For at its worst, a regret like that can haunt us for the rest of our lives. Well, here Peter is telling the people not simply that they ignored Jesus or that they rejected Jesus. He's telling them that they have actually crucified their own Messiah. They killed, but verse 32, God raised him to life. The one that they despised, verse 33, God exalted to his own right hand. 
the one they stripped, received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, the one that they had considered powerless, was now pouring out all that they could see and hear. Because, verse 36, Peter said to them, Be assured of this, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And if you, if you try and inhabit the moment, if you, if you try and enter into the scene, then you can know, you can feel the magnitude of the error. You can sense as the full weight of regret and loss and foolishness bore down upon them. They were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What can be done now? And to their amazement, to our amazement, to any sane person's amazement, the answer is that there is something that can be done. There is something that will be done. Peter tells them it's not too late. Verse 38, repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Now this is grace. After all they've done, indeed, after all that we have done, in ignoring, rejecting, and yes, even crucifying. For it was our sin that took him to the cross, wasn't it? Well, on that remarkable day, 3,000 heard this message and received it and believed. Now, that is a remarkable thing. Think for a moment that, that Jesus, the Son of God, who healed the sick, raised the dead, stilled the storm, fed the 5,000, in three years of ministry, the sum total of believers that gathered around him, just 120. And here is a novice preacher delivering his first proper sermon, and 3,000 come to faith in 30 minutes. Why? We'll come to our third heading. We've seen the shape of the chapter, from the disunity we know to the community we want. We've seen the centrepiece of the chapter, uh, Jesus and his ministry of grace. And now we come finally to the dynamic of the chapter, the spiritual power that drives this transformation forward, which is found in the person of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is everywhere in this chapter, isn't he? He's represented in the violent wind, a wind that Nicodemus discovered blows as it will. Uh, we know not how or where. The Holy Spirit enables the speaking in tongues, enables understanding to the peoples. The Holy Spirit emboldens Peter to stand up and speak. He opens the ears of Peter's hearers. The Holy Spirit convicts the people of their sin and the Holy Spirit grants repentance unto faith. And then finally, the Holy Spirit enables the community of verses 42 through to 47. And that same Holy Spirit, he is still at work today. 
because we live in the age of the Spirit, that these last days, as verse, 40, as verse 17 puts it. God has promised, we're told there, to pour out his Spirit on all people. In other words, no one is excluded from the possibility of receiving this spiritual gift. And what a difference it makes. Not 120, but 3,000 coming to faith. Isn't this why, do you think, when the disciples were amazed at the things that Jesus did, Jesus said to them, do you remember? He said, you will do even greater things than these. Isn't this what he meant? That when the Holy Spirit came in power, the miracle of new birth, new life, the miracle of people coming to faith, that would take place. And here we see it happening. Well, our time's gone. I said that I wanted us to try and see at the wood and not get distracted by the trees. Uh, and what we've discovered here is a chapter that takes us from the dread of isolation, echoed in our lockdown experience, and lands us in the community that we yearn for. Uh, we've also seen that the path from one to the other uh, is the person of Jesus Christ. And that the one who energises, mobilises uh, that transformation is the person of the Holy Spirit himself. Well, two thoughts uh, quickly as we close. Um, first, a thought for those um, of you who uh, haven't yet made your mind up about the Christian faith. Uh, those of you who maybe, had you been there on that first day of Pentecost, would be on the edge of the crowd, gazing in, wondering what on earth this noise and fuss uh, was all about. Well, can I say that if that's you, then could I encourage you to come closer? Hear more. Uh, try out this Christianity Explored course that we're about to get going with. Uh, join us in a couple of weeks for that evening with Michael Ox. In other words, if this morning you have sensed the loveliness of the community that is anticipated here, then see if it isn't God's Holy Spirit who's prompting that yearning in you and who is also prompting you to find out more. Uh, and for others, uh, others who uh, are uh, Christian believers, well, I think the question for us would be, are you hurting? In other words, do the losses which social distancing are forcing upon us, do they hurt? Because they should. It should bother us. It should pain us not to be together physically as church. It should grieve us that we can't encourage one another in the way that we want to. Offer love to one another. Share meals with one another. With one voice, praise the God who has saved us and works amongst us. Church should matter to us. And the restrictions on what we can do as a community ought to bother us. If they don't, or they don't bother us as much as we realise they should, then cry out to God to restore 
a passion for the people that God has called you to be a part of. And in fact, let me end by doing just like that. Let me lead us in a prayer. Let's pray together. Uh, Father God, we uh, cry to you. Uh, first with praise that you have worked in this uh, extraordinary way uh, to bring an end to disunity. Uh, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, you form for yourself a people for your own possession, a people who you united around the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, and we pray that uh, for those of us uh, in Cambridge at Christ Church, uh, and for those up at Terrington St. Clements, uh, you would establish a community of faith uh, that would bring you glory. Uh, that would encourage uh, those of us within uh, and be attractive uh, to those without. Uh, as, we, as we learn to live uh, in love and unity together. Uh, and uh, we pray this for your own greater glory. Amen. <laughs>